Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Coaches, welcome in to Episode 9 of Season 2, Essential Coaching Conversations. Um, Kyle, a, a big time episode here. I think we've just surpassed 60 episodes last week and, um, you know, having Kip on, we can talk about that for a minute. Having Kip on was just awesome. I mean, that guy is, is a wealth of knowledge. He's engaging. I think what was really cool too, was the feedback that we got on that particular episode. I think probably more than we've gotten on any episodes in a while. Um, also from like a smattering of different types of people and people of different walks of life who were like, man, that was probably one of the episodes that made me reflect about myself as a human being. And I'm sending it to the people that I know because they need to listen to it. Um, so really, really awesome. Kip, thanks again for coming on. We'll, we'll definitely have him back um, for sure. But Kyle, thoughts, thoughts about episode nine, passing 60 episodes last week, having Kip on any of those things. Yeah, appreciate Kip coming on. I thought that was great. It was nice to, you know, bring in a third voice and get to hear some some thoughts from someone else. And the the feedback was really great. I, the funny thing is, is I I feel like as we've done these episodes over the the last year plus, I feel like the the most listened to ones are are typically not probably the most important ones, but like what you and I would deem the most important ones. And I think that one with Kip is probably one of the most important episodes that we've done. And I'll be interested to see how it does, you know, analytically as we go. But I, I just kind of have a feeling it might not be the most listened to one, but it's one that I would really encourage people to go listen to because I think it's a great uh, exercise in self-reflection. And, you you know, you hear three people who have failed talking about their failures and how they've gone past them and, you know, what we've done to to try to move on and all that. And um, yeah, I thought it was, it was awesome. And, and Kip always brings it and appreciate him taking the time. And um, I thought, I thought going back and listening to that episode uh, later last week, there's always things that we I hear later on that I'm like, man, I don't even remember us really <laughs> getting into that. Cause I guess we're either really tired or we're in the flow. And um, it was really great uh, getting a chance to, to, to go back and kind of reflect on that episode again. And I'll definitely be going back and listening to it at least one more time, because I feel like anytime we start asking those questions and we start to think about them, there's always something new that comes from it. So it's funny you say that because one of our friends of the pod had texted me early in the morning saying it was one of the best episodes that they had ever listened to. And they were sharing it with their staff and she said something about like, you said something that was great. And I was like, I don't even remember what I said to be honest with you, like, I don't remember anything about the content as we are doing it. I have to go back and listen to it because it's sort of like, not, not autopilot, but you sort of black out and you're just doing it and you're engaged and you're like in the moment. And then you have to go back and be like, wait, what did I say? Um, so it's also really fun. Like when I'm sitting there editing and putting it together and again, there's like minimal editing that goes into this, but when, you know, I'm like syncing up the music and making sure it all fits, like, I hear little bits and pieces as my cursor goes over the video in, in the editing software. And I'm like, wait, what did we say? Oh, that's a really good point, Kyle. I don't remember you saying that. It's um, how I was during, during games though. Like yeah. I was a really bad. It's one of the reasons why I, I kind of got away from doing a lot of post game, you know, mm -hmm. speeches and stuff like that. I realized like, I didn't remember half of what was going on during a game, especially in real detailed moments. I've never been the guy who could be like, oh, yeah, on hole three, shot two, the wind was coming across my face and the pin location was in the bottom right and I hit to the left, like how people can recall that stuff, which is amazing to me. Like when you hear like LeBron or, you know, a Tony who I was thinking or somebody yeah. like that is like, they're, they're like computers and they, I've never been that person. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying one is good and one is bad. I've just, I've, I've never been the guy that could recall the, you know, the second play in the third quarter and what did I just, never been me and so that was again one of the reasons why i got away from being so emotional and talking so much after the game i needed to go back and watch the film and wanted to make sure that i, I knew what i was talking about and it's been kind of funny that that's kind of the way 
these pod episodes turn out where I, we always hop off and we're like, I think that was pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we got into some moments, but I do think you kind of get into it and get into a bit of a flow and we're just sort of, sort of just synced up every, the outside world disappears. And again, that's another reason why we like doing this. It's a bit of a, a therapy for us and an escape from everything else going on. And um, so it's always really great to go back and, and listen, but again, getting a chance to do that uh, this week, if it's, if it's an episode you're thinking about skipping over, uh, we're not going back. I, I would, I would highly, highly encourage you, uh, if, if nothing else, just to get to hear Kip mm-hmm. talk and learn more about what he does, um, just to kind of, kind of prop up, you know, the work that he's doing and his message and, and, and that kind of thing. It's definitely, definitely worth a listen. Yeah. And then I went back and just, as you were talking, I checked the analytics and it's definitely not one of the most listened to episodes, but I think it's been the most impactful for a lot of folks who are dedicated listeners of the pod. And so we thank those people for listening and, and getting into it. Um, you know, certainly like, you know, we just went over, I think 6,500 total listens, which for two guys who are just random guys doing a podcast, like, I don't know, that's pretty cool. I know that there's some podcasts that I listen to that do that in an hour and that's great. Like good for you. Right. But I think for us, that's, it's just a mark of like consistency and showing up and things like that, where again, our, our peaks and our valleys, like our valleys used to be our peaks. So we're just going to keep it rolling. Um, But again, thank you to Kip. Thanks to everybody for listening and let's just keep it going. So season two, episode nine, um, let's go athlete shout outs. You have a number nine. I feel like I know who it is, but you're going to throw me a curveball because why would it be obvious? Um, If Kip was on, I would know exactly who he would choose. Um, But go ahead. You you got it. Go ahead. So I am going to throw you a curveball because I I couldn't decide Mm. because there are two Dallas number nines Mm. in Mike Madano and Tony Romo. Mm. And I, I, it's like, I couldn't just Sophie's choice over here. Wait, like, wait, couldn't. time out. I called Mike Madonna last week thinking he was number eight. I'm pretty sure I did in the pre-show. He's number nine. I knew. Yeah, we, we said that. And then you chose yeah. Mike Madonna and I forgot that he was number nine. So, yeah, he's he's nine, but I, I can't. It's really hard to. Pick one of those two, like one of my favorite, you know, athletes from Dallas kind of growing up watching all that. So. I can't, I can't go that route. So I've got to go somewhere else. And then honestly, I was torn between these two athletes, but um, I'm going to, there's a a very simple reason why I'm going to make this decision because um, to celebrate our, our big home soccer match win that we had over middle Tennessee last Sunday, I'm going to, the tie break goes to soccer and I'm going with Mia Hamm. Greatest U.S. No. Did you go Mia Ham? I w- you can you see it? Oh, we've never done that. We've never done that. We've never done that. So, what was it? Two weeks ago, you picked you picked mine out. Or no, la- yeah, two weeks ago with number eight, you picked Ovi, right? You called that I was going to do yep. Ovi, and now we have picked the same number nine. It's the first, y'all. This is unraveling right before our eyes. We have one more episode, and I'm going to be able to guess Kyle's number something. Very soon. Anyway, continue, continue. You got so it. yeah. So I well, and I thought I knew your number. I thought I had I had one pegged for you. Well, I had two options. I thought for you, but um, again, I, I'm just I'm going soccer because that was the last event I worked. Um, and so uh, thinking about that, I mean, greatest U.S. women's player ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue top two or three player ever in the world started women's soccer uh, in the U.S and you know debuted at like 15 years old scored a a game winner at 19 two titles you know world cup olympics i mean just unbelievable watching her you know when we were i mean we're close Mm -hmm. to the same age watching those you know world cups in the olympic games and watching mia ham do her thing and won four straight titles at north carolina so what the really cool thing about her is when you talk about greatest carolina athletes Mm -hmm. you have to mention her in the same breath as michael jordan and there's mm-hmm. not a lot of athletes that get that treatment. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up and kind of pass it off to you to let you give your explanation. But that's that's how I got to the the Mia Hamm episode. I'm just I'm dumbfounded that we both picked the same athlete. 
as iconic as she is, there's so many other number nines. I honestly, I thought you were going to go with Tony Romo. I really did. Um, but Mia Hamm and I actually grew up in the same area. I don't know Mia Hamm at all, but it's pretty cool that we like traversed the same roads for most of our lives and things like that. And like, you know, just growing up in the, in the nineties and, and watching like the 99 women's world cup and like kind of putting women's soccer on the map and yep. to see what it's become now right with being the most dominant sports team in the world maybe besides the all blacks um just inc- you you cannot mention sport as a whole i think without mentioning mia ham and the outsized influence that she had on the development of sport kind of worldwide but especially women's sports and as somebody who coaches women and has been coaching girls and women for the better part of the like almost what a decade and a half now um just incredible i mean just the the incredible influence i mean i remember when we were growing up so you know you go to a halloween party or something when you're in like middle school and high school i think i was 11 when the 99 world cup happened and for halloween as as we're in october and we're a couple weeks actually exactly two weeks away from halloween as we record this Every single girl in my class wore a Mia Ham jersey. And it was like, wait a minute. Like, the only time you ever saw anybody wearing a jersey was like back then. Now they're the commanders, but you know, the Washington football team back then, the Redskins back then, like that's what you saw, right? It was like, you only saw men's jerseys anywhere. And then after all that, like the World Cup and like the, the, you know, the first iteration of women's professional soccer in the country started, all you saw was Mia Hamm jerseys, right? She was in that commercial with Michael Jordan of like the anything you can do, I can do better Gatorade commercial. Mm-hmm. Still one of my favorite commercials to this day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's obvious choice. Mia Hamm, no question about it. But I am curious who you pegged as the two people that I would pick. Cause she was my only pick. I didn't have anybody else. Really? I had nobody else in line. Yeah. I thought you might go Tony Parker. Okay. Fair enough. Spurs. Um, and then my, who I almost went with, who I actually thought of first, I actually thought of before me and him, but this was the tiebreaker. I was toying between her and Lisa Leslie. Ah, uh, yeah. 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 So, fair enough. Fair enough. Neither of those came to mind. As soon as I saw like nine, I was like, nope, that's nine belongs to Mia Hamm. Like forever. Mm-hmm. She is number nine. Um, yeah, Tony Parker, certainly number nine. But yeah, Mia Hamm is like, you know, they talk about, I, I don't like the Mount Rushmore thing, but greatest athletes of all time. Absolutely top five. Um, mm-hmm. Without a doubt. So, yeah, I mean, she, she started it like mm-hmm. and when women's soccer started in world cup i mean that was like in 91 right that was the first one ever i think so yeah and so i mean like they're from the ground up as a teenager mm-hmm. essentially establishing an international stage yeah and just thinking about like what that pressure and you know just i mean how mm-hmm. do you handle that i mean there's even other like ronaldo's number nine right like yeah yeah wayne uh, rooney was number nine yeah yeah uh ibrahim is, is is number nine like there's a lot of really really great number nines and like you can't get to them you know in my mind and your mind obviously like without starting with with her you know right I mean, she, she walked and ran instantly so people like carly lloyd could run alex right. morgan could run like right it's amazing when you think about how dominant the u.s has been in that sport on a global level and again she essentially started it from the ground up you know uh on a global stage so yeah that's pretty cool first thing first first time for everything first time for everything we're the shtick is almost up now as soon as i guess one of yours what are we gonna do there's there's no more surprises in this um, all right. So the would you rather? Um, do you you go for it? You got it. Um, oh, you want me to introduce it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I got you. So would you rather? And I guess caveat here. Let's say you're a player. Okay. So in the eyes of a of a player, a high school kid, would you rather 
have extremely cool dope uniforms and sort of the the swag package but play in an absolute rundown shit stadium mm. or would you rather have state-of-the-art stadium and then have absolutely god-awful rundown ugly uniforms basically would you rather have the drip or would you rather have the facility Before we start any potentially dangerous activity, the question I ask my team is, is there a safety concern with what we're about to do? Just so they can identify what it is, and then we can mitigate it. I feel like if we had a rundown, crappy, dilapidated stadium, but awesome uniforms, the safety concern would literally be playing the game. So I would rather have the top-notch facility where we at least are safe playing the game and we have everything we need at our disposal because ultimately we can make dilapidated uniforms look really cool and we can make them feel really cool. And there's some mystique behind having the shitty uniform where you're like, listen, it doesn't matter what we look like. It's Let's just go ball out. And I think it's probably far cheaper to replace uniforms than it is to build a brand new stadium. So I'll take that as well. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I do think you're going to get a little bit of the look good, feel good, play good mm -hmm. crowd. Um, but as somebody who's in charge of a, a big budget, I'm just going, all right, we'll buy a new uniform. We'll figure out a way to fundraise. <laughs> right. New uniforms. Right. But if I'm a kid, you know, if I'm 15, 16 years old, do I really want, cause I, I think this has to extend to like your, not just the uniform, but like your travel gear and things like that. Like mm -hmm. the hoodie that you wear to class and on the bus and think like, would you rather be walking around in something like that all the time where you're only in the stadium, you know, X number of times. So like, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the rundown uniform part kind of stays with you everywhere you go. So even mm -hmm. when you're away from your facility and I think that that would be the argument sure to have to have the nice stuff and play in the rundown um facility um and the the funny thing was is like we you know at simsboro we didn't have a really great facility but we had really nice stuff mm -hmm. um, and it was awesome kind of <laughs> representing the logo and the brand and that kind of thing so I, in my mind my my initial thought was give me the nice state-of-the-art facility and we'll deal with the uniforms. But now that I'm sitting here thinking about it and maybe just to play kind of devil's advocate, I would think give me the better stuff, mm. uh, especially from a, a branding standpoint. Um, and then we would kind of deal with the the facility. I, I've never as a high school coach ever had nice facilities. So I guess I'm kind of used to, you know, having, not having state of the art, this and that. Maybe there's some, I guess this could go either way, but maybe there's some, value and like hey we don't have the nice stuff we're blue collar we got to earn it uh that kind of thing um but I, I think i would initially i was with you now i'm sitting here thinking about it i'm gonna go to the other side and i'm gonna say give me the give me the nice uniforms and stuff and we'll take the we'll beat you in the bad facility so you know what's funny is this is actually a would you rather that i had to deal with my first head coaching job we had like i would say the facilities I coached in when I coached in Virginia were awesome, like high school facilities. Really, really, really good. Um, two different, very different sized gyms, but, you know, six baskets. They all worked. They were all 10 feet. The floor was beautiful. The stands were nice. The locker rooms were pretty good. Um, and I remember coming in and the uniforms were ratty and they were kind of like, you know, not they weren't. Bef, you know befitting of a varsity level 6a mm -hmm. basketball team and so i remember we were sort of in that situation of having the really nice facilities everything our weight room was beautiful like everything was good to go but when it came time for like our practice gear and our uniforms it was just like yeah you know you can take it or leave it and i went to my ad and i was like hey listen i'm new I don't know who bought these uniforms when they're on cycle, but I want to pay for out of our budget. Like we're going to get new uniforms. And I was like, if you pay half, we'll pay half and let's see what happens. And he was like, all right, price them out. 
So I got like what now is considered like the collegiate level Nike uniform. We were kind of the early adopters of getting that for a high school program. Um, and our kids like looked swaggy, but we still only won five games that year. So we were able to get both. We were able to get our, you know, have our cake and eat it too. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like having the stuff, like we we sort of like look the part, but I'm not sure that either one of those really allows you to, it doesn't make the team. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make you who you are, either one of them, but it certainly feels good to know that like when you walk into your home facility, there are creature comforts and you feel good about it as opposed mm-hmm. to like looking around you're like, oh, that's falling apart. Oh, that's held up with duct tape. Like, you know what I mean? I think maybe there's some old world charm to that too. I think some people are like, Oh yeah, it's cool. Like you guys haven't renovated in years. Um, and I feel good about that. (laughs) You know, like, ah, there's some character to this place, but yeah, I don't know. I I think I would go with, I I still think I would go with the, uh, the facility just from also this. I don't know when you, when you invite others into your home, you want it to, you want it to feel uncomfortable for them while they're playing, but you still want to have access to all the things that you might need in order to help athletes, you know, prepare and play at their best. Um, but yeah, no, that's why we ask the, would you rather? So folks, please let us know uniforms slash gear or facilities. Um, but today, Kyle, we, we have a kind of a cool topic. Um, and you you proposed this one earlier today, and I think it's one of the things that could obviously take many shapes and forms, but I think this is a really reflective conversation centered around the idea of being able to filter through what you hear, what you see, and some of the the, you know, the distractions and the noise that may or may not prevent us from doing the job we're being asked to do. Um, And I say that knowing full well that you're going to explain this far better than I just did, but I think there is an element of certainly reflection, certainly stacking the deck, um, but also just being like a discerning and critical consumer of information. And it's funny because I had this conversation the other day with a friend of mine about like, you know, goals and and how teaching has changed and how kids have changed and things like that. And one of the things that I, I remember saying in that conversation was like, our job is not to give our kids this information. Like they don't need all of this information. They need to become critical consumers of that information and what to do with it. And so even like we had a speaker come at the place that I work and like, she was talking about the use of social media and how like it shouldn't be screen time per day. It should be screen time at a time because there are certain brain science effects and like, you know, serotonin levels and things like that, that after the, after 20 minutes at a time, you're basically like start to go downhill. And so instead of an hour a day, it should be 20 minutes at a time. And that's far better than what you're doing. And so it's the idea of like, getting all this information, becoming critical consumers of it, and also not spending an inordinate amount of time consuming it to where it consumes you. Um, but anyway, I, I think that's a, a decent introduction. But Kyle, let's, I'm going to throw it to you. Let's talk about blocking out the noise and sort of where this topic came from. Yeah, I think the, as in all kind of answers, there's a balance to it, right? And, you know, we hear as, as coaches, you hear a lot of noise. We are noise as teachers, you know, and, and even as, as administrators. And I think when you, when you work in a business that is very um, public facing, it's very exposing, you know, where, where a lot of people are consuming the product that you're putting out there, right? And so if you're a high school, you know, varsity girls basketball coach, that community is consuming your product right? All of this stuff is, is, is recruiting. It's, it's, you're selling a, a product to, to a certain degree. And 
I certainly think in, in 2023, in the age of social media, um, you know, everybody has an opinion. And I think what is, uh, I, I think everybody's probably always had an opinion, right? But now those opinions are much more readily made and available. And you can get your opinion across the world instantly. And one of the things that I think is, is probably changed over the last few years is that not only does everybody have an opinion, but most people feel entitled that their opinion, that you should accept it, number one, and then B, you should do something about it. That there's, there's a certain level of, of entitlement that my opinion should not only be spoken into existence, but somebody should do something about said opinion, right? Especially if I don't like something. Um, and the other, the other thing that I think is, is fairly accurate with a very broad brush is that most opinions are misinformed on most topics. Um, again, especially nowadays where anybody can say anything at any time, and it's hard to sift through what is even real, you know, in the age of misinformation and in the age of, I mean, you, you go on Twitter right now and there's stuff happening all over the world and you can't tell what's real. You can't tell what an actual factual account of something is. And the other sort of symptom of this, I think that, that you see, and, and Annie Duke has, you know, has, has written some, some great books on this, you know, and, and how people think and the sort of this disease of resulting. And, you know, most people don't really care if what they say is right. They just want to be right. You know, and regardless of what happened, I want my opinion or my view to be the the prevailing one, right? And and a lot of these other things I think, I think go much deeper. In it's most of us have our minds made up about a topic before we ever hear anything about it. You know, we're skewed into our the way we were raised. There might be some cultural things here. There might be life experiences that have happened to us. There could be any number of influences that it's it's really difficult. I think to even take the time to hear what somebody else has to say about something. And even if I do give you sort of the, the avenue to do it, you're probably not going to change my mind, right? And so even from like big real world global issues, right? All the way boiled down to, you know, armchair quarterbacking from the third row of the bleachers at a high school basketball game or a message board or just anything, you know, the, the parent that doesn't like the way you're running that classroom because her baby's got a B and she should have an A. Everybody is going to have an opinion. And I, I think the most difficult part of this is being a selective consumer of what quote unquote noise to pay attention to and sift through there because the, the, the noise is rarely complimentary. Most, most people are never going to hop on a message board and say something nice about you. Most people are not replying to your Twitter saying something nice about you. It's usually going to be something negative, right? On the flip side of that, I definitely think there is some value in getting a pulse of what your consumer base thinks and feels. That can be extremely valuable. It's really great to know that, you know, if there's a majority of something out there, even if there's a minority in something like this is what this group is thinking and feeling, and maybe we can learn something from it. And there is some value in that. I mean, I certainly have, have dealt with that over the last few months and learned quite a bit and improved. And it's made me better in some areas. But it's really difficult to get stuck into that world where it can really consume you. And you don't want to get to a point where somebody else's prevailing opinion paralyzes you to a point where that's all you're thinking about and that consumes you and somebody who is on the outside who is misinformed who does have a minority opinion in something could be what overtakes your decision making prowess when it doesn't need to because the most informed person is is you in the room making the decisions right and you have to you have to think that i think you have to believe that i think you have to trust in that and trust the people that are around you 
but I, I think it comes down to, as we said earlier, when we were texting about this, like we have to know thyself, but a, how many people know thyself and how many people take the time to process, to continually get to know thyself and continually reflect and go through this process to know like, Hey, if I, if I peel this curtain back a little bit, I'm probably going to see and hear some things that I don't like that may piss me off. It may hurt my feelings that may rub me the wrong way. And a lot of times we hear sort of this machismo bootstrappy type stuff of, well, you just got to block out the noise. Just ignore it. Just don't pay attention to that. You got to, you got to have some thick skin. You got to have tough skin. But at the end of the day, like we're all human and that stuff can affect you. Like you can't tell me that all these, you know, there's three division one college football games on right now. Half of those teams are losing right now. Half of those coaches are going to have to go in and face reporters, a fan base, you know, coaches show all these things. And it's really difficult to just be like, ah, that stuff doesn't really bother me. No, we just, you know, it is what it is and blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I think that's where most of the coaches in this country are not millionaire division one football coaches. They're likely extremely underpaid or even volunteer junior high coaches. They're officials. They're soccer officials. They're basketball officials. They're umpires. And they're having to sit there and listen, to, you know, and block out the noise during a game and not let that affect their judgment. And I think it's one of the more difficult things that you have to do in life. Um, and there's not a lot of conversation built around it. And there's not a lot of resource for it other than, hey, just don't worry about it. Let it roll off your back. Don't, you know, just block it out, ignore it. It's just noise. Do you, whatever. And that's not, you know, in some instances is not necessarily maybe terrible advice, but it's like, well, how, how do I, but then it's, how do I do that? What are the mechanisms and systems in place that allow me to filter through all this said noise to try to figure out, well, maybe this is important. You know, I, I, there are certain people you do want to listen to. You do want to trust. And I, I do want your opinion, right? But most of the opinions that you're getting are ones that you don't care. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't really want to hear them, especially at that particular moment in time, but they're being thrust upon you in real time at that moment in the, you know, while you're coaching while you're in the middle of the, or the heat of the moment, you're supposed to just block all that out. Um, I think it's a very interesting topic. And I just, I, I don't think we, I think it's an area that's probably very seldom explored and probably something that needs to become a little bit more of um, maybe less taboo to have kind of an open conversation about like, man, that really does bother me. Like, especially when you hear like coaches don't want to win or this coach is lazy or anything like that. No, like we kind of talked about that a little bit last week with Kip, like what coach doesn't want to win, you know, and everybody's got a better idea about how we should do it. And, and I do think that is a difficult thing that maybe, you know, veteran coaches and, and administrators and leaders could do a good job with younger coaches say, look, you do kind of need to get used to the fact that whatever decision you make, half of the people out there are going to think you're an idiot. Half the people out there are not going to like that decision. And if, even if you do make a few decisions where the majority are on board with that, like eventually it's coming, you're going to do something that most people are not going to agree with. But that's where I feel like the human component becomes extremely big. Recruiting becomes extremely big. You might not like that decision, but if I've done a good job recruiting you in and we have a great, you know, trusting and respectful relationship, you might not necessarily like it, but you might at least understand it or respect it. And it means that we can continue having, you know, a conversation or a relationship or something like that. So that's where my head kind of goes with a lot of this. I'll throw it back to you um, just to kind of see maybe if, if, if some of those things resonated um, or maybe something genius popped in your head as, as it usually does. Something genius. I don't, I don't know if I have something genius, but I, I took a few notes as you were talking. Um, and they, Sort of, you know, tongue in cheek, you know, like on um, it was all like Jimmy Kimmel, I guess they do where they're like the celebrities read the mean tweets. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because like they'll read it and then sort of get to react 
to whatever that person said. You know, it's like Jennifer Lawrence has a face that I would like to punch. I think that was one of them or something like that. And she was like, yeah, well, F you, you know, they bleeped it out. She was like, well, yeah, F you too. You know what I mean? Something like that. And it's like, I used to tell when I, when I was doing large scale programming at my previous job, like the ability to utilize the noise as a way to practice. And what I mean by that was like, you know, find the most vitriolic, hate filled, like, you know, racist or sexist or whatever stuff you can find on social media and think about how you would react to this in a way that can engage somebody in a conversation. And that's sort of your first step to understanding how to combat some of this noise that seems to become the, the, the minority opinion that becomes the majority. And it's like almost oppressive at a certain point, but it's a very, very like small amount of people. But it's really hard, like you said, not to worry about it. And so you see, like going back to these mean, that mean tweets idea, like every single celebrity that's on there gets thousands of mean tweets a day. And they're not allowed to react to them because if they do, then their brand gets tarnished and this and that. But when they do it in that setting, it's like, oh, ha ha, whatever. Like, this really doesn't bother me. But at the end of the day, like when the, all the, the lights turn off and, you know, they take the makeup off and they're just being a regular person like that, that has to hurt their feelings at some point. Right. You and I can both point to the trove of emails that we have received over the years from parents. That absolutely, like, in the moment, you just want to crawl into a hole and die. You know, like, that's a real thing. And it sucks. It sucks. And you go home and you tell Megan about it, or I tell Becca about it. And it's like, oh, it'll be okay. Like, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. And yeah, that's true. Like, it probably will, in the grand scheme of things, be okay. And they certainly probably don't know what they're talking about. But it doesn't make it any better in the moment. And you can't block certain things out. And so this was one of the things that you and I had talked about earlier, too, was when we think about like the idea of parents. And so you and I work in, in different capacities where our stakeholders are a little bit different. But in your capacity where there is noise from sort of the outside world when it comes to social accounts, stuff like that you're not are you necessarily beholden to those people the same way that I am as a coach to parents and the answer is yes i mean in a certain in a certain manner of speaking like there are people that spend good money to do whatever they are doing with with you guys and like you have to sort of keep them happy and at the same time they may have an uninformed opinion just like a parent might have an uninformed opinion about me or about our program but at the end of the day, we still have to service those people as if they're the most important people in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's really, really hard to do. Um, and so when you talk about like blocking it out, I know the title of this episode is, is generally, you know, block out the noise, but it's really hard to block it out. It's also really hard to not let it inform your opinion of a yourself or B just how good or bad things really are. And so I think there's a matter of perspective that exists as well that I'm not sure we as coaches, as professionals, as teachers, as men, that we get the opportunity to really think about, like, did I have a really bad day because of this or did I have a really bad 15 minutes? And so then, you know, it brings up this idea of like, I, I just read this on ESPN literally like 15, 20 minutes ago, Shane Beamer the head coach at South Carolina. I don't know if I, I think I put this in our, in our, one of our chat groups, Kyle, but Shane Beamer broke his foot kicking something after a game. Right. And he didn't know he had broken his foot until the adrenaline wore off. Why is he kicking stuff after a game? Oh, but body language though. Right. But body language though. But that, to me, is a little bit of a signal of, like, the outside voices maybe getting, you know, getting into his head. Or And he said, listen, he was like, I, I, I feel like I didn't help my kids win. I feel badly about it. I'm not frustrated with them. I'm frustrated with myself. Like, you know, he said a lot of the right things. 
But a lot of that frustration stems from, man, we lost another one. I know the alums are going to be calling me. I know the donors are going to be thinking I shouldn't have gotten that extension. Right? It's hard. Because this isn't pro wrestling kayfabe where you can turn it off. Mm -hmm. Right? These are real people. It's not a show. It's not an act. We don't get to go to our trailers afterwards and become ourselves again. Like, these are real people. Right? And then you look at, like, Deion Sanders. So I wrote down Shane Beamer for his foot and then Deion Sanders for what he said after their loss. Who was it? Stanford? They lost to? Mm Mm-hmm. Right in double overtime, like nothing. You know, my we were up twenty nine nothing at halftime, and I don't know if my guys wanted as much as I do, and they gotta love football and this, that, and the other. I mean, a lot of that is motivated by, you know, the the narrative and the things that he wants to put out. Which, listen, right or wrong, it's his choice. He can do whatever he wants, right? But there's an idea of like, well, if I put that out there, at least I can inoculate and protect myself from some of those things that I might have to block out later or from the immediate in the haters and all of that stuff. Like, I think it's, you know, I now when I say haters, I think about like all the young kids who are running around being like, I got to work so I can, you know, make sure my haters have nothing to hate on. I'm like, dude, you're eight years old. You don't have any haters. Nobody knows who you are. Relax. Right. Like, but it's this idea that we're always being watched. And we are always being on display. And so the thing that I'll, I'll sort of turn it back over to you with, and we'll talk a little bit about stacking the deck and recruiting here in a second, but I think a lot of this stems from insecurity, of course, right? We all have insecurities. We all have anxieties. That's a real thing. Talked about a lot of it last week with Kip. I mean, I just really think about like our kids and. If we as grown adults, whether as the people who are reaching out in whatever medium they're reaching out, and then that causes anxiety for me and you or for any coach out there, any professional out there who has to deal with the noise, right? So there's insecurity that causes the noise. And then there's more insecurity that's created by the noise. But as grown adults, like we are supposed to have the skills to be able to handle that. I always frame it in my mind, though, of like, if I am feeling this way, how do my kids who don't have these skills or who are not fully developed in their self-awareness and all of those things, like, how in the hell do they feel, right? With so much insecurity amongst teenagers anyway, how do they feel about the noise? And what, how do we help them with that? Because as we as coaches, like if we're trying to model it and it's getting to us, then certainly it's it's got to be eating them alive at, at some point. I don't know what, how you feel about that that part, Kyle. Well, that and, and I don't think by saying like, oh, we just ignore it. We just block it out and just pretend it's not there. Or we shove it down deep inside. Like that's not modeling how to handle that either, right? Like that's not exactly setting a very healthy precedent for them. And it's easy to say like, okay, we'll block out the noise. But at some point, like the noise can get so loud where you can't block it out. Like you had, you had said earlier, like you can put on noise canceling headphones. There's only so much noise that can be let out. You know, at some point, a little bit of that's going to get let in. And I do think that's why it's, it's okay to, to talk about it. And I, I also think that there's, um, a little bit of a, a catch 22 and a paradox to trying to be, you know, increase things like emotional uh, intelligence, agility, emotional literacy. You know, the more aware you are, the more you're going to pick up on that kind of stuff, the more things you're going to hear. You know, we deal, you know, kind of with this with Kendall. You know, she's gets pegged as like shy. Oh, are you just shy? He's shy. Oh, you're shy. And it's like, I don't really want you calling her shy. Like she's aware. She doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> she doesn't know you, you know, like, oh, well, you're just, you know, you're, you're sensitive and you're shy. It's like, no, I'm, I'm aware. I'm more attuned to what's going on around me than you are. You're a, you know, you're, you're a stone-faced adult. Like, don't, don't, 
hate on me because I'm picking up what's going on in this room more so than you are. Like, why is, why is that emotional ineptitude almost rewarded and accepted and revered because you can just pretend like it doesn't bother you when that really could, in some instances, could be a sign of like a lack of emotional maturity there. And people who do, you know, either more innately or work on their ability to connect with people and, and be a little bit more relationship-based and understand what's going on and attuned and can pick up on signals in a room or what's going on. Like you're, you're almost sort of, um, you know, knocked and degraded for being more skilled in a certain area. Um, and it can, it can be a little bit harder to deal with some of that stuff because you are picking up on a little bit more of that noise or, or even just a little bit of noise might sound a little bit louder to you than somebody else. And everybody's going to be a little bit, you know, different. And I do think you, you know, you can get used to certain things over time. Like there are certain parent emails that I would get in my first few years of teaching and coaching that would really <laughs> drive me nuts. Like I would not sleep. And I do think, you know, you get some reps at it and you learn how to handle it. You also realize that a lot of that stuff is unfounded, it's misinformed, and you can't really rationalize with an irrational person. But I think it takes some reps in that and understanding like, okay, there's just so many people. Like, how many times have you and I crafted a re email reply and been like, there's no way they can say anything else back to this. I got them. Like where they're beat, they're dead in the water. There's nothing they can say. Send. All the Two time. Two seconds later, they're coming back at you with all this other stuff. And it's like, how in the world can they argue with me? Like I'm, I'm, I'm sound, I'm right, you know, whatever. And again, my, my guy, Ben Haddock's the best email reply in the history of email replies. It just, thank you. Send mm -hmm. you're trash. You're terrible. You've killed my kid's dreams. You're an idiot. You should have done this. You should have done that. Thank you. Send. Mm -hmm. And that shuts them up more than anything else. Right. Cause there's nothing you can say about it. So if you're going to if have that dialogue or continue with that, you know, I do think having a little more life experience and going through some of those things, it, it can get a little easier, but at the same time, like, I don't know if you can ever really 100% block out the noise. And I feel like if you were to get, uh, you know, a millionaire coach or a, a celebrity or somebody that's rich and famous that deals with that all the time. And it's like, Oh yeah, well they're rich and famous and they're flying around on jets and they've got this and they've got everything they could ever want. And it's like, well, most of these people are depressed and mm -hmm. see a, a high rate of suicide amongst fame, fame, and, you know, dealing with different things or whatever, and dependency with alcohol and drugs and all these other things that you're dealing to cope with that noise. So you can say like, oh yeah, well, at least they're rich or at least they have this, or at least they have that. But I bet you, if you could get somebody in a real moment of honesty, you know, they would give all that up in a heartbeat just to quote unquote, be normal and make that noise go away. Well, doesn't this speak to the would you rather? And I don't think we did this on purpose, but the would you rather was about would you rather have the nice stadium or the, or the you know, nice uniforms and the nice stuff and appear like things are great, but on, on the inside, it's awful, right? Like, I think there's an element of keeping up with the Joneses and trying to win the Christmas party. And when that noise gets in the way, it's really hard to do that. Right. And when there is that sort of interference of I'm trying to get my message across, I'm trying to do the right thing. And there's all this interference because there's so much noise from the outside. And we tell our kids, we tell our teams, we tell our students, we tell everybody like, hey, block it out. We don't need to listen to that. Like he, I remember doing this with my team a, a few years ago. Like we were we were receiving votes in the top 25, I think. Uh, nationally, we were like 10 and one in out of conference play, had some huge wins. I think the only loss we had was like by four to Tufts. Um, you know, we sort of blew that game on, on a coaching error, um, which is what it is. Like you can go back and watch the film and, you know, we had people tweeting our account, like you should be ranked in the top 25. We had people like, putting out articles about how it was a sham that we were not in the top 25 and we were just receiving votes and whatever. And I'm like, I put it up on a slide for our student athletes to look at. And I was like, we cannot listen to this. Like we're going to own that it happens. We can look at it, but how we react to this is up to us. 
I remember the same thing that happened when I was at South County. Like we were, I think we were probably 10 and one, honestly, at, at that time. And we were ranked in the top 20 where I think we were number 18 and it was the highest ranking in school history or something like that, or in, at least in a while in the Washington post all Mets poll. And I like printed this out on a huge paper laminated it and brought it to practice and had the kids like stomp on it Hmm. and we ripped it up i was like this shit does not matter but we're gonna own that it's there and i think that that's a really valuable strategy for us as people to know like yes this exists we are not going to ignore that this exists but how we choose to internalize this information and the active thing that we do to recognize and then sort of go through that rocket process and be like, all right, but what aligns with who I want to be? I think that's a really active process of listening to that inner voice and having a really strong inner voice that's not driven by those external formulas. And what was crazy is we were going into a game against the number, I think we were 18 and that team was five. And we ended up losing by like three. And I was like, it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I was like, when we started to think about us being 18th and like people outside of this circle getting involved and understanding that we were not, that we were a top 20 team and like, you know, whatever, all of a sudden those expectations shifted. And so we go to like that vision alignment and sort of the vision stability piece. It can really rock your world a little bit in a positive way, right? Hey, we're being recognized by these external sources as being really, really good. All right, but that can also create vision instability. Just the same way that if things are not going well and you you choose not to stick with your process and you choose not to stick with your vision, that also creates vision instability. So that's a neutral thing, right? So when we, in sort of our theme of neutral things, The noise can be positive too, but we have to be able to internalize both the positive and the negative as something that we can be critical consumers of. And then it's this idea of being able to decipher what we need to hear and what we don't need to hear, what we need to do something about, what we don't need to do something about. And I think that part only comes if you have really stacked the deck in your favor and have your systems and all the things that you hold dear to yourself, whether as a, as a coach, it's your language, it's your philosophy, it's your essential elements, your game models, all of that stuff. Like, if you feel confident in that stuff, it's not always going to work. There is no silver bullet. I almost said magic bullet, but I think that's a blender, right? <laughs> there is no silver bullet to anything. But there are ways that we can, and this is a a throwback to one of our former, or not former, but older things we used to say, like, there are ways to add aces to the deck simply by going through this as a reflective process rather than a reactive process. And I think that's really, really hard to do in the moment. And in the moment, yeah, there are times where I just kind of want to crawl up into a ball and just lay on the couch and not deal with any of it but the reality is if i do that it's not going away it's still going to be there and so being able to use it sort of as as a practice tool even it's just it's really hard to do man like i i say it right and it sounds really easy but it's really really hard to do especially as the expectations continue to grow when you have had continued success or things tend, you know, they're going well, managing that may be even harder than managing when it's not going well. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I I guess I haven't done well enough in my coaching career to really have a, an ability to say yes or no to that. I certainly have done poorly enough, right? Like, you and I have both had plenty of losing seasons where it was, like, actually probably some of the most fun things we've done, right? But, like, Regardless, there is going to be that noise no matter what. Yeah, and you heard something very similar this uh, past weekend with Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, talking about you know getting beat the week before, and then they respond and they 
you know, shut down a Heisman Trophy winner, and they look extremely dominant in their win over USC. Basically, the the post game on the field was like, how did you, you know, how do you bounce back from a previous, you know, failure the week before? And it's like, man, you just you get home and you're over it. And you just kind of want to crawl in the bed and not want to deal with it. But you've got people who are counting on you and depending on you and blah blah blah. And then you get up and you keep moving and you know, you don't, you don't get to have the really, really high moment without the low moment. And typically the lower the moment, the higher the next one's going to be. And I think, again, it takes a little bit of grit, determination, you know, dealing with adversity, all those coach speak kind of things. Um, but I think for, for me, where I know that I've gotten better, I've grown and I've matured, it's where I, I get more frustrated at myself when I do let the noise get in. And I get more frustrated at myself. Like after it might not be in real time, like it'll get with me, but then 10 minutes later or the next day, I'm like, man, I can't believe I let what so-and-so said really bother me that much. Like I'm better than that. You know, like at the end of the day, these insecurities you're talking about, it's this, it's very similar to entropy that we talk about all the time. And the whole goal of any good system is to reduce the amount of entropy. And the more you stack the deck and the better your systems are and the more recruiting you do and the more aces you add to your deck and, and, and the more times you go through the human component wheel and the tighter we are, ultimately what you're doing is you're reducing the amount of entropy. So for our own sake, we're reducing amount, the amount of insecurity that we're facing when we hear something. And so that stuff does insulate us and it does slide off our back a little bit more. Those noise canceling headphones are a little bit more quality. We can block some of that out, but it, it also doesn't mean that it's going to be 100% or it's going to be perfect. And I feel like a, a sign of growth and maturity is when you, when you get to a point where you really are, you know, process oriented, if, if, as it were, and you are focusing on success being the next best decision doesn't mean if you're making the right decision or the wrong decision. Did I make the next best decision I could in that moment with the information I had? And typically, even if I do get a little aggravated with some of the noise that I'm hearing, I will fall asleep at night because I know like, yes, I did. I made the best decision that I could in that particular moment. And if I realize that I didn't make the best decision, I've at least been able to reflect on that and know that I didn't, and then I can fall asleep. I think where the sleepless nights come in and where I was extremely bad about this as a coach is I wouldn't go home. I would not go home. I was, I was going to Chili's. I was going to Cane's. I was going to Waffle House. I was shooting free throws in an empty dark gym till two o'clock in the morning. And now at 38 years old, I look back at like how ridiculous that almost sounds how much time, how many nights I could have gone home and still spent time with my wife while she was still awake and I didn't go home. Like how many moments I missed out being around the most loving and supportive person in the world for me. Why did I not, why did I allow the noise to make me miss out on those moments all those years when in, when in, in reality, that was the place I should have been. It almost seems silly when you think about that and you, and you look back and you reflect on that. And in my new role, it, it, it kind of happened again. Like after that first football game, you know, she texted me. She was like, please don't stay out all night. Like, I know who you're going to be because it was kind of like coaching again. She was like, come home. And you're like, you know what? You're right. Like, it doesn't solve anything. For as many sleepless nights as I had, as many free throws as I shot in an empty dark gym, as many waffles that I had at 1.30 in the morning, do you know how many extra wins that bought me? Zero. How many? problems I solved at two o'clock in the morning that couldn't have waited till the next day. Zero. Didn't do anything. And you could argue that it made things worse because it festered and you weren't able and that the noise became louder and louder and louder. And so I, I think if if anything has changed for me over the last 10, 12, 15 years is I, I don't want to say that I'm thicker skinned or that I'm, you know, more insulated. I think I've been able to hear it, process it, and then get back to who I am and get back to my systems, get back to what I believe in. I know myself, thyself, um, a lot more now. And I think the really difficult thing for, um, you know, I'm, I'm 38, but I'm only 38, hopefully, relatively speaking, and over the course of my life, like 38 will be pretty young, right? 
And so at 48, 58, 68, I'll look back and think, oh, wow, I was an immature 38-year-old. But I think that's, a, again, that's a sign of growth. So you, I think you do want to look back and, and realize, ah, that seems kind of childish. I can't believe I let this bother me that much, or I should have handled this more, uh, you know, a, a little bit differently or whatever. But I, I don't think you can get to that point unless you're going through this reflective process over and over and over again. But again, there is sort of this catch-22 that the more reflective and aware you're going to be, the more susceptible and open you're going to make yourself to some of this outside noise. Well, because it's, it's going to start bothering you more, right? Yeah, it, I think it definitely can. But, I, but that's, that's sort of a, a caveat and a launch point into that's why you need an Essene in your corner. That's why you need a Thursday night group chat in your corner. That's why you need an essential coaching community in your corner. That's why you mm -hmm. need mentors and friends. And, and mm -hmm. you, it also helps to have somebody that doesn't know jack shit about sports if you're a coach. Mm -hmm. One of my best friends doesn't know anything about sports. Like I'm talking nothing. And I love hanging out with the guy because he doesn't view me as a loser coach or a guy who didn't handle this correctly or anything like that. Like I'm just Kyle, mm -hmm. his friend. We don't talk about work or sports or anything like that. And, and sometimes that is the best place for me to be because you're just totally escaping everything. Mm -hmm. You're not being viewed or judged like that. You're being viewed and judged for the human being that you are, which is also a great, I mean, that's again, like why do you miss so many nights with your wife and your kid when you, they don't care about that stuff. They're the ones that are going to view and judge you based on who you truly are. And I think that if, if I get annoyed with myself nowadays, it's that I, I don't fight that battle a little more and go home after a hard day's work or after something like that, especially when you're hearing some of those negative things and you really do need to get back to, to what's important. And I do. And, and ultimately I think it keeps you more grounded. I think it definitely keeps you more grounded. It reminds me of the quote. I think I tweeted this a few, few days ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago now, but it's the Booker T Washington said it. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit because I don't remember the exact quote and I'm, too tired to look it up but it's surround yourself with people of good quality for it's better to be alone than in bad company and my college roommate had that hanging on his wall for three years and I remember looking at it like every day because we'd, we'd hang out in his room we'd hang out in the common room like we just see it right and it's like the the older that I've gotten and sort of the less, you know, the less fucks I've given about stuff, like, let's just say for what it is, right? Like the less I've cared about certain stuff, that quote has become so much more true than it ever was when I was growing up as a young person, like trying to figure it out. And I think there are times where that noise becomes so overwhelming that you feel like you just need to be alone and figure it out. But then you realize, like you said with Megan, like you have good quality people in your corner. And I think it can feel really difficult to know that you're not imposing on those people by wanting to be around them in those moments where you're sort of questioning like god this noise is really getting loud right and so i even think about it like i wrote down this question at the very 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 beginning and i think this is perhaps this is not a question that we can answer today but it's something to think about right to me the mark of an intelligent person is somebody who can be presented with new information that is backed up by facts or logic and they can change their opinion. Mm. That to me is the mark of an intelligent person. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think... 
I think having an openness and a willingness to have that conversation, be willing to change mm-hmm. an opinion is, is a, a good mark of intelligence. I also, also think it's becoming increasingly rare. So this is where I'm going with that. So I'm glad you said that it's becoming increasingly rare. And again, I don't think that we can answer this question right now. I think this may be a part two. I think maybe it's uh, perhaps a larger conversation with maybe more people to try to get some more viewpoints on this. But like my my real question is, where did the intelligence go? Mm. Because I think we are lacking, unless we are really in like, unless we are really intentional about having a Kyle, having a Thursday night, Tuesday night, EC groups, having these spaces in which we can be vulnerable and we can challenge ideas respectfully and have intelligent discourse. I think without that existing and without us manufacturing it for ourselves, because it's increasingly rare, right? Like, like you said, it's increasingly rare. The noise just gets louder and louder and louder and louder because everybody just wants to be right. And there's a lack of intelligence because where nobody seems to be using logic or reason or fact to inform what they're saying. It's solely opinion. It's like if the entire newspaper was editorials. That's all this is. And that like a functional society cannot work that way. That's my opinion. I, that, I, I just don't see how that's possible. Um, and so no matter perhaps how much we stack the deck, there are always going to be those people that editorialize everything, um, or things that matter to them and their agenda or whatever it is. And so I guess it's really, really hard to answer that question of where did the intelligence go? And I guess the second question to that is how do we get it back? Um, but I'm not, again, I'm not sure at 10 49 PM on a Tuesday night, we can answer that question without some some reflective time and and some conversation with the people who are closest to us like hey what do how do we solve that problem right so i don't don't know thoughts on that i'm i'm finished with that part but i'll throw it to you to close us out here no i think we definitely need to bring this back with the two questions that you just said is where did the intelligence go how do we get it back and let's dive into um you know that and and all of these different areas and avenues throughout life, you know, news cycles, sports, whatever, you know, um, is we, we started this conversation on basically taking a, having, having a bunch of people yell at you for every decision that you make and how do you sort of handle that? And I think maybe we've stumbled on something here in, in how we handle it is understanding where that information is coming from, you know, taking it from the source and kind of understanding that, but also from a larger picture is, is asking like, where did that intelligence go? And more importantly, if it's gone, does that, does that give us some hope that we can go get it back or is it lost forever? And I I do think it's becoming increasingly in in an increasingly polarized world with increasingly polarized opinions where everybody would rather, again, be right instead of get it right. How do we go about getting that back? And I think the only way we can is by asking the question and diving into it.